start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. The Jay Allen Show is streaming now on Safety FM.live. Hello and welcome to the Jay Allen Show. Today's Tuesday, July the 21st of 2020. I hope all is well in your neck of the woods. We are streaming live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. So let me tell you of what we have going on today. Today we have a conversation with Sydney Decker. Sydney Decker is a professor and a director of Safety Science Innovation Lab at Griffith University in Australia and a professor at the Faculty of Aerospace Engineering in the Netherlands. Sydney has lived and worked in seven countries across four continents and won worldwide acclaim for his groundbreaking work in human factors and safety. He coined the term safety differently back in 2012, which has since turned into a global movement for change. It encourages organizations to declutter their bureaucracy and set people free to make things go well and to offer compassion, restoration, learning when they don't. An avid pilot of planes, large and small, he has been flying a Boeing 737 as an airline pilot on the side. Sydney's best-selling author for most recently, Foundations of Safety Science, The Safety Anarchist, The End of Heaven, Just Culture, Safety Differently, The Field Guide to Understanding Human Error, Second Victim, Drift into Failure, and Patient Safety. He has directed the documentaries Safety Differently in 2017, Just Culture in 2018, The Complexity of Failure in 2018, and Doing Safety Differently in 2019. His work has over 12,200 citations and an H index of 47. It is my pleasure to welcome Sydney Decker to this limited commercial episode of The Jay Allen Show. Sydney, welcome to the show. So let's just start off from the very beginning. I always like to start off the conversation with what got you to fall in love with safety? Why did you decide to dedicate, I mean, your whole career to it at this point? (laughs) It sounds 
I fell in love with safety. Well, you, you had to. I mean, if you've been doing it for such a long period of time, there's no way that you can't have some levels of love into it. Oh, there's oh, there's all kinds of ways to look at that. I mean, one is one is a really cynical one. If that's it. Well, let's start off there then. <laughs> a, good, a good grizzly old friend of mine said at some at some point in uh, this early in, in, in uh, career career, if that's what you want to call it. He said, you know, I said the problem is the more you have done, the less you can do. And I sort of <laughs> found that super depressing, um, but quite accurate because the more you've done of a certain thing, the more people associate you with it, the more right. of it is on your is on your resume, uh, the more people are willing to give you jobs associated with that sort of thing and not with anything else. And so so there is there's actually there seems to be a truth to this. Um, you know, I, how did I fall in love with now i fell in love with flying i fell in love with aviation first and so uh that happened when i was three years old and uh my parents actually didn't have a tele- television right i um i was uh I, I grew up in the in the 70s no television um and but my grandma had uh, had a television I'm going to say for the 70s, that's kind of late for not having a TV. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be judging. Um, this, is, this is the Netherlands. The, you know, it wasn't, um, yeah, no, it is a little bit, but, um, but it's okay. You know, so at some point it did show up in, in my life. I must've been a teenager by then, but I never, we're not, you know, um, so, and we're on radio, we're not, or, or, you know, or other, other media, not, right. not television either. So, but anyway, Jay, so, so um, I watched a, um, a program. Uh, I was three years old watching this program uh, at my at my grand, grandpa's, and and she, uh, so my grandma's, and she uh, um, she had on something that was about flying and and in, in in the mountains, and and I went, oh my word, that it, it it just made such an impression that I decided this is something that I would really love to do. Uh, uh, and so, so as soon as I was uh, legal age to go fly, which is 14 for flying gliders, I, I did. So I started flying. And then, um, interestingly, I, um, uh, to out of school into uni, um, and already pretty early on, I started studying psychology, uh, as my major. And, uh, um, I found a way to combine the interest in psychology and human performance uh, with with flying, and so there's aviation psychology. It turns out to be an entire field, and so um, so then I, I try to specialize in that, and I go to Dave Woods to uh, at Ohio State after I got a couple of masters uh, to get my PhD, and so uh, the first thing that I learned there is that you know, all the colleagues in the lab at Dave Woods are writing a really cool book on. Um, going behind the label of human error. And so what can we find behind this label of human error? And um, I found it super fascinating. And, and, um, and of course, uh, as you probably know, uh, I think about 15 years or 20 years later, uh, yeah, um, I, I redid the, the version of that book, uh, Behind Human Error, with Dave and his colleagues um, to, to update it and, and get it published uh, 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 beyond the Air Force publication that they had at the time. Um, so then you sort of tumble into this uh, and, and the combination of psychology on the one hand and, of course, engineering on the other, right? how to build stuff so so people don't get invitations to screw things up, um, <laughs> the, uh, was, was, uh, was uh, what's the right word to use, um, was the motor, the engine behind behind the engagement with, with safety. Um, but interestingly, Jay, um, 
I think it's only in the last 10 years, and I'm going to tell you why, um, that I got engaged with what we would term workplace safety or hard hat safety, or, uh, because all of the work before then was in you know, sexy high-tech worlds, uh, you know, high-tech healthcare stuff, high-tech aviation stuff, fast jets. Uh, you know, I was, I was working with Saab in Sweden, building fighter jets. Yeah, well, I wasn't building fighter jets. <laughs> I was going to say, hold on here. There's more Wait, to the story. We were building fighter jets. No, I was not building fighter jets. Uh, you know, with uh, British Aerospace in the UK, you know, and, and they, they were building fighter jets. And so it was all, um, it was sort of the... Um, Literally the pointy nose end of of, of safety uh, with uh, with domains uh, that do relatively high end safety stuff and um, but then uh, so and at some point you know of course I, I make flying into the career as well uh, on the side uh, which um, which happened when I got hired by uh, by Lund University in, in Sweden as a professor and a dean and uh, I. Uh, I had the opportunity to get type rating on the 737 and get all my other uh, ratings up. Well, I, I'm going to have to ask you that. How do you create extra time? There has to be a secret to it. You can't be doing all of this work and all of a sudden create a secondary career. I mean, the way that you uh, No, I, 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 this is true. And I had, I had, well, Sweden helps. I mean, yeah, I can explain that to you. Okay. Um, unless so there, there there's, was, unless there's there, like a 25th hour in your day that we don't know about. <laughs> no, but the Swedes are super efficient people. Um, and so what they do is, uh, first of all, I had three kids right three little three little kids at the time and well I mean, little at the time uh three kids and my wife is an academic right and so she has her has a career she's a bio, biochemist uh so there's none of this uh this uh single job single career family nonsense going on i mean there's just a dual <laughs> career two academic super busy uh um my childhood sweetheart by the way i so so we've known each other since oh god childhood Anyway, um, so married, Sweden, three kids, uh, and, and uh, um, but the Swedes, what they do, they they give you like four hundred days parental leave per kid, paid. Right? Not in the U.S. for kid. sure. <laughs> no, 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 exactly. And so, uh, and yes, they 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 produce pretty efficient. You know, well, I mean, Corona has has, has hit badly, uh, as, as in other places, as we know. But, um, but, um, but what that does, it, it, it creates a situation in which family life and developing a, a dual career is actually doable. Um, you know, yes, there's there's hiatus you know, they, when, when you're home with kids. And in fact, I got so bored being home with the with with, with the first one um, that this is when I wrote the field back to understanding human error. Should, they, should, should you say reading, that out? Should you say that out loud that you got bored with the first kid? Well, but he was a baby. You know, I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll admit that. I'll admit that. Um, no, I love him to bits. I love him to bits. But, you know, the baby sleeps, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so um, you go, okay, what do I do now? You know, how would uh, uh, wash the windows or something? No, no. So I started, so I was actually in the baby room. So this is really cool. The, 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 the first field guide to understanding human error, right? The one that, that Todd Conklin uh, picked up a few years later and mm-hmm. then, you know, took off with uh, in, in his stuff. Uh, the one I wrote in 2001, uh, well, published in 2001, was written in Jonathan's baby room. And, you know, I had a little desk set up there and then uh, so he's in the crib, you know, <laughs> behind and he's dozing away and I'm, I'm writing the book, right? And then, you know, and he starts stirring and I go, no, 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 not yet, not yet, not yet. I got this paragraph to finish. <laughs> so. He wanted co-author credits is what it was. That's what he was working on at the time. <laughs> 
that's interesting because who knows? I may write some other things with it. Uh, but the um, uh, he's now what, what would he be? He's, he's twenty. Yeah, he would be. He's twenty. Um, but um, uh, so so that's that's where the the first book uh, was 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 born, literally out mm-hmm. of a sweet parental leave. You know, which was isn't the intention of parental leave. But, you know, when when else do you have the opportunity as a parent? Uh, to write a book, and, and, and or as an academic for that matter, right. you're too busy with other other stuff. So, um, which is ironic. Anyway, so back to the back to the the seven thirty seven flying. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I did borrow a little a little from the marital bank for that one in terms of time. Um, and, and so I have to admit that uh, because the, the pacing of the training uh, is, is pretty severe. Right. And so there's, uh, and the timing is crap, right? The, what I mean by that is the, uh, the, 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 the simulator slots that you get assigned, uh, you know, you four hour slots, right. Plus briefing before and after. And so, um, which may happen in the middle of the night. Right? Because uh, and every time I had to drive to Copenhagen because that's where it was, which is in another country, <laughs> across the bridge into another country, um, and uh, uh, so so that was quite yeah that was a bit of an onslaught. And so um, and my wife was uh, was wrapping up her, her PhD at the time, so those are not times to really you know borrow against marital credit. Uh, so um, it all worked out good, and um, uh, and then I was able to uh, to basically tell the airline, um, which which is tickled to have a professor uh, in human factors and safety and author uh, uh, fly with them. They thought that was a very cool idea. Um, to tell them that I, I needed to do this part time uh, after going through my line training, and so uh, and then I was pretty much able to negotiate with the scheduler um, what I wanted to do, which is really cool. So the coolest trip was uh, was from uh, from Copenhagen down to Venice. Uh, it's you know you show up at ten o'clock in the morning, which is a gentlemanly hour. You know, it's none of this nonsense of you know, five a.m. six thirty. Oh, six thirty pushback to fly a bunch of people down to Malaga or some sun destination. You go, why, why, <laughs> you know, you're in this thing. You haven't even had breakfast yet. And it's all anyway. Um, and, and you have to remind yourself I'm, I'm doing this because it's fun. <laughs> Cause you love it. You love it. I mean, yeah. it's something you've been looking at since you were three. So. Mm. Yeah, true. True. Uh, although I, I think most pilots would agree that, you know, um, the, the infatuation with flying uh, is not necessarily the thing that you experience when you sit there uh, three hours into a trip looking at the automation <laughs> doing all the things, right? right. And, and with nothing to look at outside because you're you're either at night or, I mean, in fact, at some point you seem to always be flying at night. Um, and so, but then, you know, at least airline, uh, you, you start descending and, and it was actually an airline that encouraged a lot of hand flying, which is why I do it, you know, <laughs> not computers I, I have computers in other <laughs> yeah exactly right so but driving something by hand that weighs you know 65 tons or 60 tons is actually really cool uh, so you click it off at 14 15,000 feet and just fly it all the way down that was that so that made the trip all the, all worth it and I mean the longer you hand fly before a landing typically the better the landing gets you know because you really have developed the feel of the thing uh, by, by then and so um, anyway, so, um, but that's certainly what was interesting about that, Jay, was that the, um, uh, was the position of a co-pilot in an airline that still had a couple of crusty, crusty old captains in there. And, and I, I recall, uh, one incident in which, um, uh, I was, uh, 
flying to a dark stormy field uh, in the middle of Denmark uh, uh, one one evening uh, with a captain that I who, whom I'd flown with before and uh, uh, who didn't like professors at all and uh, thought he, he just could drive this jet by himself. And, uh, you know, the, the typical role for a co-pilot is, uh, is uh, uh, gear up, flaps up, shut up. Right. And so, um, you know, they're, they're still around. And um, the um, everything we write about CRM, crew resource management and speaking up and um, co-pilots uh, deciding to remain quiet and then drive themselves into their own death. Um, actually became a lived experience, which, which, uh, which renders me to this day, uh, um, not humiliated, but at least really modest about making claims and expecting people uh, to do the right thing uh, in, uh, in situations like that. Because if someone who talks for a living, who has absolutely no problem blabbing and talking and writing and expressing himself, gets configured into a situation in which he's bullied into silence, um, then, then no one is superior to anybody else in this, right? And so what's, what was really cool about the whole thing, though, was, was it's, it's very different from just blabbing about it. You, as I said, you live the experience. You will be the first at the scene of the accident, right? Um, which means that it really focuses the mind. And where I point the nose... 189 people are going, right? And they have no say in the matter. Um, and so the ethical implications of that, instead of just being an academic, are huge. And, and I think have, uh, have rendered me, um, if anything, I hope more authentic, more, uh, uh, more, more willing to see all kinds of viewpoints. Uh, and, and, uh, so, um, yeah, that, uh, that, that, that's an interesting combination of safety, uh, the interest in safety and, and living it. Now, do you think that this gives you a different perspective compared to most academics because it gives you an operator perspective as well as an academic perspective because of what you've been through from the airline industry? In a way, uh, I, I would hope so. Uh, although I, you know, I'm in no position to to judge the perspective and the experiences and the background that anybody else brings to to what they believe or find. Um, um, but what I do uh, recognize in how I work myself is, and this this gets me in trouble uh, quite a few times actually. Jay is is that I'm very sympathetic to the uh, viewpoint of the operator. Um, to the point where where I frequently fight with managers and and boards about their stultified, limited, arrogant um, uh, interpretations of of uh, work as done on on the floor. I'll give you an example. I was uh, I was working with a, a company that makes. Uh, makes pallets, you know, they think they're making as well and they need repairing. And, um, so there's a huge production pressure. They, they, they lack the resources at the time and all kinds of other things going on. And, um, and of course, like all kinds of, uh, lines, you know, you've got this in, uh, in, in, uh, clearing centers or, uh, fulfillment centers at Amazon and others, uh, lots of lines and lines get stuck, you know, boxes get jammed and, you know, and so what do you do? Well, you got to stop the line. You don't want to stop the line because that's stop, you know, that has all kinds of knock on consequences that make <laughs> money, money, people, money. <laughs> yeah. Make a lot of people unhappy. Right. And so what do you do? You crawl onto the line, you un unhitch the thing and boom, it goes again. Right. And so, um, and of course, uh, employers, 
would would cry foul and say, oh, you can't do that. You do that, you're fired. Right? And so um, so that was the case here. Pallet gets stuck. Guy, guy unjams it. The pallet slams back and breaks his thumb. Uh, and this is on video. You see it happen. Poor dude. You know, whoop, you see it happen. And um, so we look at this, right? And I've, I've traced it all out and I've, you know, done the field guy thing. And, you know, so, I, so there's, there's as, as the story goes, right? Human error is not a cause of trouble. It is a consequence of trouble deeper in the organization, right? And so true to my own words, um, I, I put this before a whole suite of managers of this pellet company. And, um, and then this, this, uh, the, the operationally responsible manager after, you know, listening to what he considered pure drivel and, 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 and sweet, soft, uh, fuzzy, uh, nonsensical human interest nonsense, um, just grunts, uh, yeah, but you clearly did the wrong thing. Um, and, uh, Jay, I lost it. <laughs> I just <laughs> lost it. <laughs> so, so I, I try not to get angry because it really is not useful. Uh, but and, and I, I, I think I'm too well controlled for that. But uh, so, so hold on. When you but, say you lost it, what happened in return? What did you? I mean, you don't have to go into specifics, but what was the? So, so well, well what I, when I when I say I lost it, what I um, what I first did was was express very strongly my disappointment. This disappointment and deep impatience um, with his uh, uh, with his uh, clear uh, uh, unwillingness to open his mind to a different way of looking at this problem, and that um, by doing what he was doing and saying what he was saying, all he was doing was asking for the next one, and um, and so uh, and that we hadn't been talking for an hour and a half to uh, arrive at the point in which it is legitimate to say what he just said. Um, I think it's, it, it went down like that a little bit. Um, Jay, I don't think it made a damn difference, actually. <laughs> I think he just folded his arms and sat, sat back. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's my loss, right? And, and you know, if, you, if you're incapable of keeping people in the conversation, then, then that's my loss. Uh, so when, so, so when, you look at, when you go back and you take a look at this, of course, it's a learning scenario for you as well as it is for the organization. How did you think, or looking back now, how do you think you could have done it better? Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good question. Um, well, that particular one, I've actually not, 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 uh, <laughs> you know, not hindsight 2020. I'm not trying to tr- pull that. No, right no, no, but it's no, it's an, it's an utterly legitimate question to ask. Um, I, um, uh, I don't know in the exact dynamics of the situation what it would have been, but what I have learned is that um, the main aim in doing this and getting through to people is to keep them engaged in the conversation. Um, if if what I do in my impatient reaction to somebody who, like, after an hour and a half still doesn't get it uh, and clearly wants to posture in front of his colleagues that he's got it all under control and that his people are just bloody idiots, um, if I, in my reaction to that, um, uh, somehow make his voice and his viewpoint sound utterly illegitimate, um, then that's that's not constructive to the discussion and to the learning moment. Um, and and in, in, in conflict avoiding cultures, it's even quite embarrassing. People don't like it at all. I mean, being Dutch, we're not conflict avoiding, so I have no trouble with that. <laughs> uh, but other, other other cultures do, and so and I'm I'm very aware of that. But I think um, uh, looking back, 
I think I should have invited him in a conversation by, by asking questions. Um, tell me more about wrong. You know, what would right be? Right. And uh, for example, that could be a question. Right. right. And um, right. But he said, oh, you should have did the wrong thing. Well, tell me about wrong. What what would the right thing be if that is wrong? Um, and so and then move him to a place in which we can start talking about how he sets people up for doing the wrong thing rather than setting his people up for doing the right thing uh, by constricting their choice choices available um, uh, to the point where uh, where this is the only legitimate option that people see as available to them. Um, that would be an accomplishment and that would be nice. So um, that said, Jay, I'm human <laughs> too, only, you know, I lose patience. I, at some point uh, decide people are not worth investing in, you know, I mean, good God. Um, <laughs> well, no, and, I, and I asked the question because there's a couple of different things. I want, I want people yeah. to, to listen as listeners, of course, and myself as too, of, you know, what examples you can give of scenarios that you've had. And, and I think it's a great thing for us to be able to learn from, especially you going through something similar to that. So um, I have to ask a question, and of course, this is going to throw some things off. At what point fine. during your your career did you say, I have an idea of, I don't know, do you deem it a movie or do you deem it a documentary? How do you how do you look at it? The Just Culture. Wait, my, <laughs> yeah. Do you call it a, what you created? Do you call it oh, a movie? Oh, the, ju what the, the Just Culture. Right. Uh, no, that started as a book. And it started right, as right. a book. I know it's a book, but did you look at when you said we're going to do video filming? Do you look at it as a documentary or do you look at it as a movie? I've always, uh, I've always wondered. Wow. Well, I should have a chat with my, with my, with my filmmaker. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's, I, I thought Todd would have prepared you for some of these crazy questions that I asked. That's right. That's right. No, no, I can, I can tap that. It's, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. I can, I can, I can make, I can make something up to answer the, um, no, Todd has not done anything. So, um, but a, a movie or a documentary. So what are the, give me the definition of, of either. And well, well, the, here's when you, well, here's, let's kind of backtrack. When you came up with the idea for the, for the movie, was there already the thought process of something to put on video? Uh, no, okay. no, 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 no. In fact, this is a really interesting story. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you're getting all the backstories here. Oh, that, uh, this is what, because this is, I want to make this different than some of the other interviews that you've done. <laughs> that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. So because this, this again, this again has everything to do with my kids. Right? And so, um, um, so we move uh, to, to, so I'm, I'm now living in my seventh country and, and I, you know, I, and so you learn all kinds of languages and ways of, ways of being and, and, and eating and, and cultures and people, which is really nice and lovely and rich about, about life. And so we moved to this one, uh, to Australia uh, a few years ago. And then I, I, I took with me uh, an old uh, mobile phone, cell phone that I bought in Europe. Right. And so, um, which, um, uh, which was uh, so a really old model iPhone. Well, it gets older every year for <laughs> right. some wacky reason. Right. And so, um, and so Apple wants you anyway. So the, the, this phone is still with me and, and it does what a phone does, which is call people and get cold on, you know, that's well, that's what, not what people that's expect. The, that's not what people these days expect. A phone exactly. To do. <laughs> exactly. Jay. So, you know, you, you, but you're okay. You're almost spoiling the plot. Here, right? So the, um, the, uh, uh, so I'm calling off this phone and it works. And, and my kids increasingly see this as a source of utter embarrassment, right? And so um, it's not like, I mean, Richard Cook, he uses an old, you know, uh, clamshell flip one, right? right? Which is just so cool. Uh, but um, anyway, um, so I, I'm on this phone and it's not working. Um, 
then I'm, I'm flying on an airline here with a big kangaroo on the tail that, um, uh, so not as a pilot, but, you know, being ferried from one talk to the next. And, 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 um, and they turn out to have a, a Wi-Fi system aboard. And then, then you can you can watch movies and documentaries uh, by streaming them. And I go, that's neat. And I look at my phone and the thing, of course, <laughs> has no idea. Right? It's it's utterly incapable of connecting and doing anything. Um, and so, because, I mean, it, it refused software updates for, for many years. Already, so. <laughs> um, and so eventually um, my, uh, my kids convinced me to get a new phone. So I get a new phone. And then, you know, uh, the, the, the newspaper, we were reading, in fact, uh, the, the New York Times um, stops uh, delivering paper copies uh, across the world. So I want to read it on on a screen. I mean, well, I don't want to read it on a screen. I have no choice. But the the illusion screen. of choice is what I call it. The illusion of choice. Yeah, good on you, man. Yeah. Oh, you can read us everywhere. Yeah, true. Um, but so uh, I want to read the New York Times. The New York Times shows up on the uh, on, on the phone, and I, I go, "Well, if this is if this is how it is. That's a really tiny, tiny little screen. That's that's useless, right? So I need one with a bigger screen. So my my kids then convinced me to get an iPhone with a big, you know, bigger iPhone. And so, um, which, which really, uh, uh, so the first time I take this into this airplane, this new iPhone, um, I go, oh, let me, let me go watch, watch a documentary. Jay, I'm kidding you not. The first documentary I watch is a French documentary. I forget the name. But uh, it really is about the, uh, the, the, the Rhineland model of managing and changing a world of work from boss men um, uh, and hierarchy and imposed uh, constraints and orders to one of collaborative decision making, much flatter. Uh, and they, they did this across a number of industries. And so they interview people. I go, man, I should do this with safety differently. I should do this with safety. We're doing all these cool things with Woolworths and with Origin Energy and with Queens and Health, and we're doing all these cool things. And yeah, we're writing about it, but you know, who reads these academics? Nobody reads anything <laughs> anymore, right? And so, um, so that's when I engaged the filmmakers, and and I think safety. So safety differently, I think, came out in 2017. Was the first one. I mean, that also shows you when I got finally into an age in which a phone did more than a phone, <laughs> uh, than your phone, but. Um, I have books to write. You know, who's got time to watch a phone? Yeah. So um, anyway, so and then uh, was it? Yes, yeah, seventeen. And then um, very quickly uh, after that, I got a call from the UK. Right. And so uh, so that film comes out. Then I get a call from well, not I get an email from Amanda Oates, who is the uh, the, the, the the HR manager of uh, Mercy Care. Mercy Care. So I mean, they they. Um, uh, a mental health uh, NHS, so National Health Service Trust in in the area of Liverpool, right? So covering population about like five million people is a pretty big organization. And um, and she writes me just a few lines and say, "Hi, it's us. We're we're we've been uh, using your uh, book on 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 just culture, uh, the third edition, which deals with restorative justice, um, and we have some amazing results, right?" Um, uh, we just wanted to let you know. And if ever there is a chance for you to be over in, uh, in Liverpool, we'd love to show you around. Um, that was it. Uh, and so I write back and uh, no, to go back, back and forth a few times. And this, this very quickly, this invitation morphs into uh, something more, um, more, more not formal, but uh, real. Uh, but I say, uh, you know, I'm happy to come to Liverpool uh, to come take a look, but I will bring a camera crew. Um, because I'm thinking, man, I really enjoyed making that previous one. Let's, this sounds like it's, you know, this is cinema, you know, this could be really good. Uh, and, um, 
And so uh, Martin Jacobson uh, tagged along my filmmaker and uh, uh, did an amazing job. Now, does that answer the question whether it's a movie or a documentary? Well, you refer uh, to it, you refer to it as a film, as a film. So right. you, it, you, you put me in the film behind You put me in the middle there, so that was kind of there. You go. It's a film. We made a film. We shot the film. There you go. <laughs> but I see where some of the inspiration um, came about. So that I, I really appreciate you saying that. Now, there's some different things that I have noticed online that are coming about that you're about to start doing. So you, I noticed that you're getting into the world of virtual sessions about to come up. Yeah. So, so how are, how are you, how are you feeling about this, especially in this new era of COVID-19? So how do I feel about the virtual (laughs) sessions? Uh The, uh, Jay, there is, there is nothing that can substitute for the, uh, lift sense of the energy, the vibe in a room, right. Where, uh, people, you see people get the light, you see ideas grow, you see, Mm faces scrunched up and 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 really struggling with a practical or moral question that comes out of the things that you're discussing you can you can um and 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 one of the things that gives me a lot of meaning in life is is this sense of holding the room in my hand i mean that that, i mean i don't want to sound arrogant or or possessive or Mm -hmm. or uh or controlling with that but just the sense of Um, you're so in the flow. You're so in the moment. You're so, and, and I love that. Right. And, it's the energy, um, it's the energy of the room that kind of guides the direction on where you're going. That is and, that is exactly right. And, is and, exactly and, and, right. and let's just be realistic in this particular format, even now as we're speaking now, unless we're engaging and I'm looking at the screen and you're looking at your screen, it's kind of difficult to see where we're going. And it's, it really it, and it's it really kind is. of difficult sometimes when somebody gets that aha moment of, I get what you're saying. I not yeah. be able to doing it virtually. Yeah. I mean, I'm just kind of, it, it, I'm kind of crazy, so I'm locked up in a room and talk to myself all the time. So I'm a little bit okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, and the silly thing about you, Jay, is you don't even have to be looking at a screen to be talking to yourself. Right. right? I mean, right. <laughs> man, that's psychological. Um, but, um, but so, but you know, you're right. I mean, so the experience of having a screen full of little squares with faces is just not the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's a poor substitute. However, however. Um, there is a huge advantage to it, and that is that the the reach can increase and diversify dramatically. And what I mean by that is people don't have to travel. They don't have to uh, be part of a particular organization that either invited me or organized a conference or, you know, uh, in order to be there and be part of the conversation. Um, this is super low threshold, low price, low cost, low threshold. And, uh, and it's really cool when I see who's signing up, Jay, man, um, it'd be radio hosts Mm -hmm. like you. It'd be, it's, um, uh, maritime rescue volunteers from, uh, from, uh, somewhere around the Atlantic. Uh, it's, um, a, uh, a firefighter in, um, I forget the country. Uh, it's a, uh, a mountaineer outdoors instructor in New Zealand. It's a, uh, it's a nurse in the UK. Uh, it's a, uh, a construction executive in the U S it's, you know, and they all, and you go, Oh, I mean, but does, does that diversity not present real issues with, um, getting a discussion going? Um, well, first of all, we'll see, uh, but I don't think it will, actually. I think that sort of diversity, uh, when you talk about things that really are of generic concern, how do you deal meaningfully with the aftermath of an incident that could have hurt somebody really badly, right? 
That's a question that goes for all of them. Um, and they all have some moral stake in doing, dealing with that question. Um, how do you, uh, <clears throat> or how do you deal with the increasing bureaucratization of, of, of frontline work? Um, there is hardly any world in which that is not happening, right? So they all share that concern. Um, how do you, uh, how do you interpret the, um, the, 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 uh, well, I mean, I, many questions that we could we come up with, but um, but what I have found, you know, because of course I've racked up a whole bunch of experience teaching online, given that the universities across the world have uh, have very quickly uh, had to adopt that model, um, is that a discussion, whereas it is possible, is not something that you can um, either let spontaneously erupt or let, as you said before, let let it be created by the vibe and the energy of the room um, and, and, a, and, a, and a softly guiding hand um, uh, as you can do that live. Um, here, I have found that you have to be, as an instructor, a little bit more um, structured, <laughs> which right, walking through ideas and Sarah, first we're going to talk about this, right? And we'll get some questions and ideas and then some examples and we'll, we'll have some, uh, some things around that. Then, then we're going to talk about this and then we'll talk about that. And then eventually we end up here. So, you know, just culture, uh, what I really want to do is walk people through the, uh, so history, where, where does this start, right? Why are people even concerned about it? Who starts writing about it? Um, then um, what is it about those ideas that, uh, uh, that really uh, don't work? or start working against us, right, in terms of the retributive just culture, this the nonsensical idea that you can just divvy up behavior into errors and risk-taking and negligence or something, you know, this utterly bizarre uh, <laughs> uh, McDonaldization of just culture as if it's an algorithm that you just run behavior through and boom, the answer pops out, you know, it's, 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 I shake my head in disbelief that people would commit to something like that, but, um, and I, yeah. Anyway, so um, I'm editorializing my own story here, but the, uh, <laughs> sorry, and then you, then you. Uh, but, but here's uh, the, here's the thing too. You're doing three different yeah. sessions, so it's not like you're doing three back to back that are are the same thing, which yeah. a lot of a lot of people are doing. But you're doing three yeah. totally different sessions. So so yeah, that's right. Just culture, and then there's safety differently, or doing safety differently, uh, and then the third one, which is uh, foundations of safety science in half a day. Uh, so that's really cool. Well, they're all really cool, but the um, uh, but but so so I'm going to talk about foundation safety size because I really I want to talk about that. But the but first, the real challenge, Jay. You, I mean, you might believe this, but was you know, I've, I've, I write so much, you know, and so I mean, I rail and 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 argue against paperwork, and all I do is produce a lot of it myself. <laughs> you know? So it's, it's but I write so many books, and and because I I have ideas and I uh, these anyway so every year there's a new book and I go man how at least over the last uh, decade or so and I go how how can I sort of uh, coagulate all of that stuff that's in those books half of which I don't remember because I don't read them I write them you know? and so um, the, uh, how can I coagulate that into meaningful uh, bite-sized uh, online deliveries and so that was quite a struggle so uh, well quite a struggle but yeah you know, and then I, I, I started talking to some ex-students and other people around me going, you know what would work right and they basically came back and said you know well the you know the, the brands would be 
just culture, it would be safety differently, uh, right? Because uh, you know you're pretty much uh, uh, overlapping with those brands, and then uh, so do those. And then I decided, yeah, we'll okay, we'll do those. But then I really wanted to do um, um, for everyone out there my last university class, which was you know the foundation of safety science. Well, <laughs> students don't get it in half a day. That would be, that would, <laughs> they would but, love that. They'd be like, okay, cool. uh, <laughs> let's take let's take the abridged course. No, they wouldn't because they love listening to me. Uh, yeah, I'm not so saying they, they don't. Work. They just want the <laughs> <laughs> of course they wanted it half a day. Of course they wanted it half a day, right? Don't make me read the textbook for God's sake. Right? I mean, just give it to me in half a day. That so, would that'd be so a, I, that'd be a very Andy Kaufman move of you if you actually read read directly out of the textbook. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, a, but you don't get it done in half a day. I no, mean, not, uh, at, not, at not at all. <laughs> so, but, but well, I mean, I have read my some of my other books, right? They're audio books, right? Not, not the textbook. I mean, I mean uh, you can't make an audiobook out of a textbook, Jay. I mean, I mean, that's going to be, that's going to put everyone to sleep, right? That's going to be so boring. Well, um, I, I, I'm also in the world of audiobooks creation. So there are, so things, you think there, you, okay. there, there are some people that do the textbooks into an audiobook. And I'm not going to disagree with what you said. I'll just put it. No, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm willing to look at different models of how to audiobook a textbook. And so in some sense, I found it a terrible book to write. I mean, it came out good, but but I think. Um, but, you know, you're, you're writing about other people's ideas. And, you know, I'm finding myself building on those ideas and disagreeing. And, agree, you know, I go, I want to write about my ideas. What's all this nonsense writing about other people's ideas for 100 years? You know, I mean, not writing 100 years, but about 100 years of ideas. And so, um, but the, the really cool thing is, right, is, is that, um, so, so what happens in, in that, in that sort of, uh, course, I've, 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 I feel tested it, that one, uh, in the, in the three hour version, uh, and it works really cool. Um, and people coming back say, oh, you know, my company does ICAMs all the time, right? And you go, okay. And they had no idea that ICAM, right? This, this, I don't even know what it stands for. In, you might <laughs> Uh, but it's it's uh, anyway it's an investigation method that lots of organizations use for the lack of knowing any better, uh, not because it delivers any meaningful results, because it doesn't. Um, and so, uh, and, and they had no idea that this is based in uh, late 1980s ideas about you know Newtonian cause effect as as depicted by the Swiss cheese, which itself is a 50 year later replication of the domino model from the late, from the early 1930s, Heinrich, in which, you know, just imagine, right, the dominoes, um, they have eyes, right, and then you line them up, and then the eyes in the dominoes, 50 years later, become holes and layers of cheese. But the, the basic Newtonian assumptions underneath the model are still the same, right? Cause effect, um, something small cannot lead to something large. Uh, one thing has to lead to the next. It's completely linear. And at the end of it all, in order for the whole model to work, you need an unsafe act by a frontline person at the sharp end to screw it up. And so these assumptions and even phrases and words are common across these two models and then find their way 50 years later again in an ICAM that some unwitting safety person applies in an investigation because that's what they were told to do. Now, to be part of the revelation, which is really trivial for a professor because, you know, you do this for a living, right? And you find out where these ideas come from and lay out the genealogy of them. Um, but to be part of the revelation of somebody saying, wow, I had no idea that, that by me doing this ICAM, I am importing assumptions about human performance, about how organizations work and safety and and, and it gets broken and made in a, in a company, I'm importing assumptions from basically 1920s, late industrial revolution America in how I look at this in 2020 in my company today. Um, and 
that is so empowering, right? And it's just one example, right? It's just one example. Uh, I mean, other examples, you know, drifting into failure, right? I mean, it's not something I made up. I wrote a book. You wrote a book about it, for sure. No, no, yeah. (laughs) But the idea, the idea of uh, an organization slowly but gradually renegotiating unwittingly renegotiating what it sees as acceptable risk and making small steps toward the fringes of what is sustainable um, is is not new uh, right the first the first really explicit work in that was is from the 1970s and, and which is really cool right Barry Turner he starts to look at this and, and he was the first one uh, in Cardiff in the UK to write a book. Um, that shows that accidents really should not be understood as engineering issues, but as administrative, bureaucratic, human organizational issues. And, um, uh, And that happened after the 1960s, and it had to happen after the 1960s because until then, Jay, right? And I, I'm, I can explain all these things, right? That that until then, you um you can you can you can see the world as 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 a believer in modernism, and if we built stuff well, we will all get better. We can buy all kinds of consumer goods, and um, and then all of a sudden during the 60s, you get this awareness growth, awareness of lots of things growing, by the way, right? Um, and altered mind states around stuff but the um and people start seeing hang on this all of these great things that we're building nuclear power plants and chemical plants and give us all these great things like plastic um they can blow up in the night and they can create really big trouble for us right and so there's an ugly underbelly to all of this um which which uh generates all kinds of awareness uh, in the 1970s which then gives rise or creates the cultural conditions uh, for the appearance of this work of drifting into failure, uh, which again is not a word or a phrase that Barry Turner used, but um, so it goes back to that. Then you go back to you know iceberg thinking and trying you know this 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 completely misguided idea, uh, and you go uh, well, where does it come from? As people probably know but might not know, um, you know you you find out that 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 uh, Heinrich, uh, an insurance man, not a scientist, right? Whose scientific method, by the way, right? Uh, scientific method um, uh, was four lines long. <laughs> the method description, four it, lines. It's a perfect four lines. Uh, Who needs more? <laughs> uh, peer, peer reviewers in journals today need more, right? In order to meet the criteria of scientific right. method. But never mind, right? Um, it was an insurance man who had, of course, uh, uh, an agenda, which is to save his company money, right? And so you want to reduce the number of claims coming in. Now, um, the, the, the so-called base of the triangle uh, is consists of uh, incidents without any consequences, right? And so, um, and you go, how could he have known? Because, you know, his basic material was insurance claims, closed claim files. Um, And if there's no harm, there's no claim. If there's no claim, you have no data. So it turns out, the deeper you dig, it turns out that he made it up. He just made it up. (laughs) There is actually no, literally no basis for the triangle, right? And so once you get into, and this is, you know, this is not only what science should do, this is what any critical mind should do, you know, is ask very fundamental questions about the assumptions underneath somebody's claim, somebody's model, you know, and then uh, you reveal all kinds of things that not necessarily make you a disbeliever, um, because as, you know, Levi Strauss, a very famous anthropologist would say, uh, is it still good to think with, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. It it can still be good to think with, um, but it can also be really destructive and stupid to think with because it gets you to do the wrong thing. As we know, as we know, you know, counting incidents and injuries is absolutely not predictive of you blowing stuff up in the night. Now, do you you look at this also as well as at this point, this 
triangle, let's just call it a dumb model, has gotten people to safety differently or safety 2.0 or however people want to deem it because they're noticing that it is not compatible with with work on how it should be done? Mm. I, you know, I get asked that a version of that question a lot. Also in terms of, uh, for example, just culture or mm-hmm. even, uh, uh, you know, understanding human error uh, where people go, oh, but shouldn't we first be doing HFACs, you know, the human right. factors, uh, whatever it's called. Um, I mean, the Chappelle Wheatman uh, colleagues uh, model um, uh, in order to get where you are. Um, should we not first uh, work through <laughs> retributive just culture with these 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 wacky categories of, of honest mistakes and 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 risk taking behavior and recklessness? Um, oh, uh, and believe me, and, 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 and I'm not saying that we should go through it, but I think do you agree that it has led people to get to safety differently to an extent? Um, and it's an opinion question, so there no, is no. No, there, there, no, 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 it's an empirical question. I mean, is there? Do I have empirical data that says that that's the case? Yes, I do. This is true. Um, sorry, what I was trying to do in, in answering the question, Jay, was saying I find it morally objectionable that we should be misguiding people <laughs> uh, before getting them to a place that is probably more constructive for them and their organization, and 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 and, and more morally uplifting, right? Than just uh, and, and so. Um, but I think where people, if I look at the, at, at, at the oh well, if I can call it fan mail, um, it's, uh, it's very often the dead end that comes out of utter frustration with the way things are done in people's organizations to that point. Um, either when it comes to responding justly to incidents or cluttering bureaucracy, um, right? uh, the uh, disempowerment of people on the front line with increasing compliance requirements. Uh, it's those frustrations and vexations and that get people to, to start lifting their, their nose and their, their view and f- trying to find other, other ways to do this stuff. So you mentioned something there. You mentioned fan mail. So I would imagine because you receive fan mail, you also receive hate mail. Just an assumption that would happen. No, that? yeah, no, it's, it's actually interestingly. Um, and, and so, yeah, a couple of things. Uh, I don't receive a lot of hate mail. Oh, okay. Most hate mail. Uh, no, not directly. Mm-hmm. Um, it, because that takes courage and identity. <laughs> and a lot of people don't have that. No, and the reason that I bring this up because, of course, I look at different social medias because of what I do yeah, and yeah, all that yeah, kind yeah. of stuff. Now, yeah, there is a guy that is convinced that safety differently mm. is called safety differently because of your initials. And he posts this online all the time. That oh, that, how that, cool that, is that? And I was like, I, 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 no I, I never put the association, but I was like, that doesn't sound right. And I was like, <laughs> if I have the source here, I have to ask the question. SD, SD. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's also standing for Sicherheitsdienst, which is a, a Nazi bureaucracy. You know? so, um, so, well, being as I threw you no, off with that, I'm going to assume that that's not the answer. I just wanted to pr- make sure that I had that point clear because I didn't think it's Jay, true. Jay, I have, I have a, I have a wife who cuts down my ego back to regular size every day, and so uh, I have no need. <laughs> No need for any of that. No, but it's interesting. I hadn't made that association. Uh, that's that's fascinating. Well, good, good on, good on the person who I did. Well, I was amazed because um, I was like, I had never seen that, and I was like, wow, 
I was like, I have, but, to, I have to ask that. But, but the key <laughs> thing is, right, to, to make this claim and stand for it without asking the source. Because right. I don't recall having been asked this, but that's all right. They can, they, yeah. Um, I have learned very quickly, Jay, that social media is the monetization of vituperation and hate <laughs> and resentment. Uh, and I refuse to participate. Uh, and so I don't read, I'm not on LinkedIn, I'm not on Facebook. And, and so let people say what they want to say. I really do not care. Well, I mean, sometimes I care because, I mean, not that I care about the corruption of my ideas and oh, the there's a lot of people. There's of a lot my, of people that corrupt your ideas. Let's be realistic. <laughs> so I, well, yeah. And that's so, as a, as a scientist, you, you, you do care about that a right. little bit, but. Um, and, and, uh, the questioning of my integrity and character undoubtedly. And so, but I don't, I don't want to be part of it because I have learned that that's in the more serious way of doing this. Right. And, you know, peer reviews is something that by which science lives, right. And quality control is, is, is very, very stringent in that regard. Um, peer review, bad reviews always make me feel worse than good reviews make me feel good. And so it never sort of equals or balances out. So I'm not going to go look for bad reviews. Mm -hmm. I will look for improvement opportunities and feedback. And, um, and, um, but my, my sense is Jay, you know, more people are not talking about this stuff yet than are talking about it. And so it's all good. It's all good. So what do you need this conversation? What do you cannot keep doing what we're doing because we'll keep getting what we're getting, which is not good enough. Right. Not good enough for sure. So what are you seeing right now with everything going on with COVID? What is, what is your thought process and what is, what are you writing about now? Mm, no, good. The, um, uh, so the, 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 the book that'll come out hopefully in the, um, in the uh, beginning of 21, um, got a growth spurt because of the lockdown so I could finish it. Um, but also because it, it is inspired in part by what we see go down. And that is, um, part of a larger discontent with uh, free market thinking and, and what the uh, detractors call neoliberalism, right? The idea that free markets are the solution to everything that the smaller government is, the better we can deal with all kinds of societal challenges, right? That was the idea that Thatcher and Reagan introduced uh, back in, uh, back in the eighties and, and, and was certainly necessary to, uh, to, to deal with some encrusted entitlements and issues and at, at the time for sure. But um, in, in, in that book, what I do is I trace, uh, and, and I don't think anybody has done that yet, uh, I trace the very clear connection between free markets and unfree people um, at, on the one hand, and free markets and fragile systems on the other hand. And so free markets have some great advantages. However, they counterintuitively produce unfree people by introducing a whole host of new compliance demands, rules to follow, uh, uh, checklists to do, um, which didn't exist when, for example, government still owned that particular activity, right? But the government sells it off, then it becomes a market, market full of contractors, full of liability concerns, full of boards, full of manslaughter laws. Full, and, and all of a sudden, you've got this, this, this mushrooming of compliance demands that can be traced back to free markets um, uh, entering into that activity, and so really interestingly, the, um, the, 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 the 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 paradoxical idea is that free markets lead to unfree people. Now, back to COVID, um, what we also see is that there's a clear link between free market thinking and introducing free markets to, uh, for example, healthcare. Uh, for example, uh, electricity distribution, other things that creates a new fragility 
vulnerability, brittleness in these systems that are supposed to deliver these services. Um, because ultimately they don't meet Adam Smith's uh, 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 ideals of what a free market should be. For example, if you're sick, you're sick. You're not a consumer on Adam Smith's free market that has a choice. You know, do I want care or not? You know, well, you want care, but the question it becomes, can you afford it? Right. Which is inhumane, immoral, and 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 uh, really a blemish on any society that organizes itself that way, right? Where you have to make choices like that as if you were a consumer with free choice. Um, and so we make increasing, and it's a, the argument is more complex than that, obviously. So it, but you have to read the book, which nobody will. We've never read anything anymore. So I have to make an audio audiobook, of course. And so uh, anyway, um, so yes, there is a definite infusion of COVID experiences in that. You know, if we um, if we whittle down government um, and make it essentially a hollowed out, slimmed down um, version of itself, in which all not all but lots of competent people are bullied away because they no longer see it. Uh, as, as a reasonable place to work, um, then um, you're asking for the kind of trouble that you get in, right? And so I mean, that's perhaps demoralizing, but um, and, and and a very short shrift version of the argument, but um, but that most people could probably recognize uh, something in. Um, so so the other thing is, yeah, we're the the only thing is. Uh, uh, I run a research lab, right? And I never had the idea that that the research lab could be so vulnerable to um, a a simultaneous nosedive in all industries from which we get research money. Um, you know, normally, I mean, mining goes down, but then another industry goes up. Oil and gas goes down, but then something else works out. Right? And so all of a sudden, COVID comes and everything tanks. You know, that was a failure mode that we really hadn't planned for. And I don't think we're alone in that. But, um, however, uh, we've, uh, we've got, uh, lots of interesting work from healthcare, uh, um, that actually has realized that bureaucratic top-down responses to a surprising, very uncertain, quickly ex escalating, uh, uh, pandemic, um, are, are not useful and that a much deeper understanding of complexity and probability and emergence uh, is necessary for them to train their frontline clinical leaders in order to meet the challenges of a, a pandemic like this. And to be at the forefront of something like that, well, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, is, is really exciting. So as you look at the big picture and the big scale, do you think that the impact that this has had on so many different industries will change the way that we do business going forward in the future on how the systems are built out? Man, part of me is optimistic, but part of me is pessimistic. You know, I see uh, people are saying this about aviation, for example, right? I mean, we shouldn't be flying to a, to a sunny destination for $29, right? I mean, at the expense of the environment, it, it's all, this is all bad. Why are we doing this? Right. And, um, and so uh, we shouldn't be shipping, uh, we shouldn't have supply lines drawn thinly across the entire globe, burning heavy diesel oil in, in trucking containers across the world in order to you know, put things together that become our consumer goods. Uh, we should have more onshore manufacturing and things like that. All of those voices um, were legitimated through the early months of COVID. How much of that are we seeing sustained now, Jay? I'm a little pessimistic there, right? People, um, 
Uh, the, the, for example, uh, companies with supply lines deeply into China and that is really organized competently around this, you know, despite everything political. Um, it, it's, it's so easy to, 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 to say, um, it's too hard to find a meaningful, cost-effective alternative to this. Um, you see the same in flying, right? People are desperate to get out of their lockdown, you know. So let's go flying, and oh, they're really their own special. Let's go, you know, twenty-nine bucks. Uh, let's go to the sun. Let's go to Florida, where you already are. But, you know, so um, and you know, if you if you live in Montreal, who can blame you, right? <laughs> so, but, so are we really going to change? Uh, I, I, um, it, when, but you should really be interviewing other people. But you know, there's there's a whole there's a whole science around this, right? right. Historical and and, and 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 sociological work that shows that yes, pandemics in the longer run have significant consequences for society. Um, I just mentioned one: the black the black death in Europe, for example, had a significant impact on uh, emancipation, well, such as it was, uh, female emancipation and uh, workforce participation, uh, because there was no choice, Mm -hmm. right? Had that not happened, uh, who knows? You know, we may not have had uh, female suffrage uh, in in, in the 1920s or whenever it came in the U.S., right? I'm I'm making this up. In the the big stretch of history, uh, pandemics definitely uh, leave their trace. In the immediate response to it, um, uh, the signs are are not entirely immediately encouraging. Right, because people go, there's no way out based on public opinion is really how that ends up working, mm-hmm. is how they look mm-hmm. at it. Well, I, I appreciate you taking the time on coming onto the show. Please don't let this be a one and only. I would love for you to come on multiple times in the future, especially when, when your book's about to come out, if you do have the opportunity of doing so. I know that you're extremely busy for the most part. I think it almost took me a year to get you onto the show. I'm not, not, not just, just saying, just saying. Uh, I, a year? Yeah, wow. I, I had emailed you a long time ago, but I know you're a busy person. And and I had call, I had talked to Rob Fisher. I had talked to Todd. I talked to Ivan Pupoliti. And everybody's like, we're going to talk to him. We're going to get you on. And I was like, let me try one more time. I even went through Sam and said, how did you do it? What, what was the magic trick? But I really appreciate you taking the time on doing this. Now, if people want to get well, now, if people want to get more information about the things you're doing, where could they go to find out more info? SydneyDecker.com, right? So, and you got to spell the name correctly. So it's, it's Sydney's so the, the traditional English way. Not that I'm English, but uh, S-I-D-N-E-Y, right? right. Decker, D-E-K-K-E-R, because I'm Dutch, right? SydneyDecker.com. That's it. That's where you go. There's lots of papers. All my books are there. And you can sign up for the workshops. Yes. Absolutely. I'd love to see you. your listeners there. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Happy to do it, Jay. Well, this brings this episode of The Jay Allen Show to an end. Hopefully, you have the opportunity to learn a lot today, just as I did during our interview today with Sydney Decker. Make sure that you take a look at Sydney's website at sydneydecker.com. There you'll have the opportunity to sign up for his workshops that he'll be hosting over the next few months. His workshops start going into effect starting August the 27th. That will be building a restorative just culture workshop on September the 3rd. Doing safety differently workshop. That's also at 7 a.m. Australian time. And then on September the 10th, Foundations of Safety Science. At 7 a.m. Australian time. 
Well, thank you for taking a listen to this episode of The Jay Allen Show. If you're interested in the Hop 101 class that's taking place on July 29th of 2020, feel free to go to safetyfm.io. There are still tickets available. This will bring another episode of The Jay Allen Show to an end. Thank you for always being the best part of Safety FM, and that is the listener. Safety FM is the home of real safety talk. We'll be back with another episode of the Jay Allen Show before too long. Goodbye for now. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 44-0 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case. And you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.